You want answers? I think I'm entitled. You want answers? I want the truth! You can't handle the truth! I know Kung Fu. Show me. I want you to do me a favor. Yeah, sure. I want you to hit me as hard as you can. What? I want you to hit me as hard as you can. I find your lack of faith disturbing. Welcome to the John Weldon Show. 2023, first class ever, first class of the year. And where are we going to start? Where would we start? Been thinking about that quite a bit. Where would I start somebody? And the question I really want to dig into is about do you love yourself? I know that's not a common question in the church and Christianity, but self love kind of has a lot of importance. If you don't love yourself, it can cause a lot of problems. It will cause problems in your marriage. It'll cause problems in your business. It'll cause problems in your family. And loving yourself is vital and important, but it's something we do not talk about. We just sort of assume that people are supposed to know how to love themselves, or you know that Jesus loves you, so you're just supposed to love yourself too. Often there's a big disconnect there though. Very often there's a huge disconnect between loving yourself and knowing that God loves you. You can know he is love. He overlooks all my flaws. He sees me for who I really am. And that's true, but that doesn't necessarily translate to you loving yourself. That disconnect can cause a world of problems. I've had a world of problems myself. I understand what kind of mess that can create. And so I want to start with something. I would start tonight with Matthew 22. Matthew 22, we have this passage there where Jesus talks with the Pharisees and they're trying to trap him. They're trying to trap him about the Old Testament laws. What is the greatest law? And he says the greatest, and he gives the great commandment. Love the Lord your God with your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Then he moves on and he says the second is like it. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. Now, how are you supposed to love your neighbor as you love yourself if you don't love yourself? So that has to come first. You have to have at least as much self-love as you're supposed to give to your neighbor. And that's old covenant. That is under the old covenant. So that's not even the standard of the new covenant. And you're supposed to love yourself. So from this angle, starting there, that's, that's Matthew 22, verse 39. The second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. That's old covenant standard. You're supposed to love yourself. Even under the old covenant, you're supposed to love yourself. How much more are you supposed to love yourself in the new covenant? Hmm. Now, oddly enough, I've, I've, been, uh, I've been through therapy, counseling, inner healing, all kinds of stuff. And there are people who get labeled uh, as narcissists. And it's challenging because I've had that label at one point in my life as well. And people say, well, if you are a narcissist, you're just in love with yourself. <laughs> no, that is a bizarre pop culture myth. If you are a narcissist, you do not love yourself. You may be obsessed with trying to meet your needs in really unhealthy, toxic ways, but that's not the same as having a good, healthy self-love where you actually approve of yourself, you value yourself, you love yourself, that's really different. That's really different than the narcissist who loves himself or is in love with himself. We're not talking about that. We're not talking about you should be a narcissist, you should be self-obsessed, in love with yourself, uh, taking advantage of people around you. No, not at all. So just to be clear for any confused individuals out there, we are not talking about 
selfish self-love. So why is it so hard for Christians, especially to love themselves? Why is it extra hard? I think it's actually more hard for Christians to love themselves because we, the church, have been teaching people not to for so long. Literally, in our theological foundation has been that you are evil, you are depraved, you are unrighteous, you are unholy, you, you're, you're like filthy rags. All of these things that we put on people and then reinforce over and over and over and over. And when we pull it out of context like that, it gets messy and it creates the whole theology that we're still dealing with to this day. Now, this is not new. This has been going on a long time. Actually, if you go back into church history and you look very early on, St. Augustine was one of the founders of the concept of uh, how to say it. All right, so he had such a negative view of sexuality that he believed that just the act of having sex, not, not outside of marriage, any sex, any sex whatsoever was considered evil. And because they had sex, a husband and wife, and they have a child, the child is born into sin because the parents had sex. Because of Augustine's horribly negative view towards sexuality, because of that, it translated to you are born depraved into sin because he believed it was implanted through your parents' evil, sinful actions of having sex. That has carried down through church history for generations, centuries. And because of that, there's this piece that gets taught and layered and layered about how, how evil we are, how depraved we are. You think about, think about even how you got saved. When somebody presented the gospel to you, you may have had it presented in a Roman's road, let's say. Uh, wages of sin is death. You've fallen short of the glory of God. Uh, your, your righteousness is like filthy rags. And they quote these different verses, and it leads you to how evil and awful and, and reprehensible you are. But thank goodness there is a Jesus with grace and love who still loves you in spite of all of your horrible evilness. This is the way the gospel often gets presented. It's this heavy-handed how evil and horrible and terrible you are, and yet, thankfully, your father still loves you. Now, I, I hope none of you talk to your kids that way. I, you know, I just want you to know how evil and horrible and unlovable and worthless and depraved and rotten you are. But I want you to know, as your father, I'm so loving, I still love you. You see, there's, there's something off there. There's, there's something clearly off. Now, we don't change scripture based on our experience, uh, but there is something to connect the dots here as far as what's really going on. How do we really communicate? How do, what do we really see in scripture? Because this is not how the gospel is presented in the scripture. When you get into the book of Acts, you start seeing the way that they're presenting the gospel was about the resurrection of Jesus, the death of Jesus, the kingship of Jesus, that he's ascended, he's sitting on the throne of David, is what Peter says in Acts 4, uh, when he's preaching the gospel, uh, Acts 2. It's a whole different message. It's not a message about how evil and depraved and hated you are, it's a message that's focused on Jesus and that he is God, that he incarnated, that he died, which created a new covenant in his blood of forgiveness, that he resurrected, which now gives you power over sin in your life. And now that he's seated on the throne, he's the king who rules with a rod of iron in his hand, and you can also reign in life just like him. 
it's a completely different gospel message than what many of us have grown up with. So we have this huge disconnect between the gospel that as we present it versus the gospel we actually see in the book of Acts. Totally different. The gospel that we've gotten from church history that we've taken in from tradition and history, it creates a disconnect from actually seeing how lovable you are, seeing yourself as a son, seeing yourself as a daughter, seeing yourself as the bride of Christ that is absolutely lovable and worthy and loved. And instead creates that you are this little slime dog worm who is the dust of the earth and crawling on the ground and the whole thing, and that you're lucky that God loves you still, in spite of all of you being trash. Or there's the gospel as we actually see it in Acts. The times, there's over 15 times that it's recorded that, that they present the gospel in the book of Acts. And when you read through it, it's so different. It's about Jesus coming and creating a new covenant, raising from the dead, being established in the kingdom and his kingship and his rulership, and that you also need to turn away from your old ways and you can participate in resurrection life. Completely different, such a radically different message. When you get in touch with this and you get free of all this church tradition depraved evil sinful god can barely look at you kind of stuff and you get free of that junk that's a huge step toward actually loving yourself it moves major barriers out of the way which is great that's a great start but now you're going from negative 100 to zero but there's a whole nother piece going beyond zero. Now you've gotten the negative out of the way that's blocking you, but you still have to move forward to loving yourself. What does loving yourself entail? What's the work involved? Or is there work involved? Should it be natural? Does it just, ah, oh, I just, I love myself. It's, it's a natural thing. So here's where we go for that. So the next piece of this, well, I want to add a thought. Not only, not only do we see in the book of Acts the way that they present the gospel, but we also see in the gospel itself the way Jesus presents the gospel, which is the story of the prodigal son. Now think about this. The prodigal son story, if we presented it the way the gospel is presented nowadays, the prodigal son comes home and the father would have to stop him at the road and convince him, now I need you to understand, you are evil, you are garbage, you are scum, you are trash, you are not worthy to come home to my house. You are not welcome here. But thank goodness, your older brother, we sacrificed him and he came back to life and he took your place. And because he took your place, he took your beating, he took your punishment, because he did all that, now I'll let you come home. And I'll forgive you because he got punished in your place. That's the way we would present the story. Instead, the son comes home. The father embraces him. He's repentant. He leaves his old life behind. And he's just welcomed in. And he's loved. Was he loved while he was gone? Absolutely. If you look at it, it's, it's actually three stories next to each other. There's the story of the lost coin. There's the story of the lost sheep, and then there's the story of the lost son, which would probably be a better name for it. The coin, when it was lost, was worth just as much. It never lost its value. The sheep, when it was lost, was loved and valued just as much. It was never lost any of that. So the same, when the son was gone and he's in the pigsty and he's out at the brothels and he's rolling around eating the corn husks and all of that. None of that changed his value or his, his love from the father toward him. None of that was affected. Only the relationship was disconnected. They didn't have relationship until the son repented and came home. That was the disconnect. He had to repent. 
and come home. He was already forgiven. The father already forgave him and loved him and was waiting for him to come home. So that was the disconnect. It wasn't about guilt and shame and him being unlovable and then somehow becoming lovable. So, and for those just joining, we're talking about loving yourself. Okay, that's our topic. So I know I'm going different places, a um, little bit here and there, but um, the next thought with this is I want to talk about a verse where Jesus talks about kids. This is um, Matthew 18, 3, that if you want to enter the kingdom, you have to become like a little child. Become like a little child. Now, one of the things, there's so many different messages about this, so many different directions you could go with this. But one of the things about a little child is that they don't struggle with self-love. Now, I'm speaking from my experience. I have, I've worked in uh, Sunday schools. I've worked at summer camps. I've worked at VBSs. I worked at a childcare uh, daycare center for six months at one point with three-year-olds. So I'm going to talk about three-year-olds because this specifically is an area I've, I've spent a lot of time with young kids over the years. Now, most of this was like 20 plus years ago. But what I've seen with kids from my observation is that a three-year-old typically there's outliers, but typically has no struggle with, do I love myself? They don't even think about it. They're just enjoying life. There's nothing unlovable. I'm not worthy of having a cookie. No, give me the cookie. I'm three years old. I want a cookie. I want a juice box. I want a whatever. There's no like, I'm not worthy. If, if you, if they saw a big garbage truck, I want to ride in the garbage truck. It's not, I'm, that car is better than me, or this thing is better than me, or no, they see, they see Superman on TV and they go, I want to have big muscles like that. There's no disconnect from themselves, from their desires, from their identity, from who they are, from loving themselves. There's no disconnect there. This is a part of being like a little child. It's not just the ability to be free and create and dream, but there's also this piece of self-love that gets diminished and damaged over the years. The picture, the picture for me that really helped me understand this uh, over the last few years Let's say that you're a marathon runner. You're running down the road. You're, you're hauling butt. You're like halfway through the marathon. Somebody jumps out of the bushes and they put nine bullet holes through you. You are like 50 cent. You're now you're on the ground. You got nine bullet holes through you, but you survive. So they take you to the hospital and they got you in a hospital bed, but you still got nine bullet holes through you. Are you still the marathon runner? Yes. Your identity didn't change. You're just a marathon runner who now has nine bullet holes in you, which sucks. And it's going to probably take a long time to recover unless you're David Goggins, but you're going to recover eventually. And it's, it's going to be rough, but in the interim between where you're running your shot and then you're running again, you're still the marathon runner because it's part of your identity. It's part of who you are underneath it. The bullets are separate from you. You are not the bullets. The bullets are separate from you. Now, what does this metaphor mean? Now, if you back up to being three years old, you get a little older. Now you're six and you're in kindergarten or first grade. Um, and you get up and your teacher asks, how do, you, how do you spell this word on the board? And you get up and you spell it completely wrong. And you, your teacher says, oh, that was a great 
that was a great try. Um, good job. But uh, no, that wasn't how you spell it. And the kids start, they're giggling and they're chuckling and they're laughing. And what do you do? Six-year-old you says, I got it wrong. I, I'm, I must be dumb. I must be stupid. And you now have given yourself a label. I am stupid. I am dumb. And in that moment, when you give yourself that label, you are giving yourself a bullet hole. This is what we do to ourselves. We label ourselves and guilt and shame and condemnation comes in and now you got a bullet hole. And now for the next many decades to come, when somebody says something and you get the answer wrong, you're sitting there, you're watching Jeopardy for five minutes and you go, man, I don't know any of these questions. Must be because I'm dumb. Who told you you were dumb? You did. Now maybe the teacher, I mean, there's some awful teachers out there, but they're rarity. Maybe the teacher was like, no, you're wrong. You're stupid. Go back to your seat. I've heard stories. I was homeschooled. I wasn't talked to that way, thankfully. I wasn't called dumb as a kid, but I've heard some rough stories. And maybe it was a bully. Maybe it was something else. But it doesn't make a difference until it, you actually own it. One of, the, one of the most incredible teachers on trauma in the world right now is Dr. Gabor Mate. And um, one of the quotes he says is, trauma is not what happens to you what happens inside you see this is why you could have uh and this true story there were there were three different prisoner of war uh, men who were trapped in vietnam in the same prison cell together for five plus years i don't remember all the details uh read it in a book it's here somewhere um, but in this story these three men true story they come home from being imprisoned in vietnam together and one of them, uh, he ends up committing suicide. He can't handle the post-traumatic stress. Another man, he goes out and he just buries himself in drugs and alcohol for years to come. Third one ends up going out and becoming incredibly physically fit and becoming a public speaker and writing a book and traveling the world, telling his stories and all of that. The three of them shared their traumatic experience, but the real trauma is what happens inside you, not what happens to you. And most of what happens inside you is what you do to yourself inside you. And that's why we're talking about self-love today. That's why we're starting with this foundation is what is happening inside you? Do you love yourself? Or if you don't, one of the things that can happen is almost anything that comes at you, the way you let it land or hit you on the inside, oh, this just means I'm a loser, I'm stupid, I'm ugly, I'm weak, I'm fill in the blank. What label, what bullet hole did you give yourself that now everything that hits you connects with that thing? So in this process, you grow, let's say I use the example of six years old, then maybe you're eight years old and you're in gym class, you're in PE and they are now all climbing up the rope or doing push-ups, and you can't do as many as most of the other kids in your class. And you tell yourself, oh, it's because I'm weak. And now you're going to have that and carry that label with you. There's another bullet hole. And these bullet holes accumulate and you could be a burden. My parents get divorced and now they have to shuffle me back and forth and I hear them arguing about me all the time. I'm a burden. I, I don't succeed. Uh, I get rejected by girls. I get rejected by boys. I'm in middle school and I think I'm a loser. And I start telling myself I'm a loser. And these bullets start adding up. This is the picture of how you get from being like a little child. He says in Matthew 18, three, 
become like little children to enter the kingdom of God. If you want to be connected to the kingdom of God where you can actually flow from love, you have to become like that little child again. And part of being like that little child is the ability to love yourself and others. Because you start looking at little three-year-olds, they love everybody. Your average three-year-old wants to hug and be tickled and wrestle and have fun and connect and all of that because it's just a natural part of love before bullet holes come in. And I want you to catch a point here. The thing about the bullet holes is that you give them to yourself. I know we love to point the finger and blame and play the victim. And there's a whole bullet hole for victim. Uh, something awful happens to you and you say, well, I'm a victim. But that's another label. It's another bullet hole that you can give yourself. And then everything in life gets reinforced that hole for you. So when you become like a little child, you're actually going back to your natural state of being the marathon runner. It's who you actually are. You are not your bullet holes. You are not those things that happen to you. They are just things that happen to you that you interpreted, gave yourself a meaning for them, and then you live in reaction to that hurt, that wound, that meaning that you're carrying around. So you have an option here. There's become like a little child and love yourself and love others. Or, and which is like being the marathon runner without the bullet holes, or be the marathon runner that lays in bed with the bullet holes, trying to recover in loads of pain. And then you do all these things to try to numb out the pain. That's where the drugs, the alcohol, the porn, the affairs, the emotional affairs, all the things going after cars, money, planes, because you're trying to fill a hole. Now, can you have a nice car? Can you have a plane? Cool, sure. But if you're doing it to try to numb out the pain of a bullet hole in your life, it's a problem. That's a problem. And that numbing, that coping thing that you're doing is going to cause even more problems in your life rather than actually dealing with the pain of the bullet hole. If you actually deal with that thing, you can get back to being the marathon runner without a bunch of bullet holes in you. One of the most dangerous things though, is when you actually embrace the bullets and say, this is who I am. I am a loser. I'm not a marathon runner. I'm not a little kid in the kingdom. I'm a loser. I am stupid. I am weak. I am ugly. I am a burden. And when you embrace it as part of your identity, now you might not do that on a really logical level, but you have an underlying feeling. And that leads to why you think you might not be actually lovable. Well, who could really love me if they really knew me, if they saw behind this mask, if they really saw me for who I am? they'd know I'm a loser. They'd know how dumb I am. They would, I'd be exposed and they would see. Uh, it's like pulling back the hospital gown and saying, look at all these bullet holes that are here. And that fear right there, that fear of being real. Oh my gosh, we'll save that for another week. But talk about one of the biggest fears, especially for Christians, is being freaking real actually saying look this is what's going on here this is how i feel it's how i feel about myself here's where it came from most of us have never even done the work to know where did it even come from why do you feel that way about yourself so to actually love yourself is really a part of going back to seeing who you really are as a little child underneath all those bullet holes, getting back to who you really are.
those coping strategies, when you have the bullet holes in you and you're trying to avoid them rather than deal with them, which is what a lot of people want to do, I'm just going to avoid these. I'm not going to actually deal with them because how do you actually deal with them? If you want to heal, you have to feel. So the challenge is if a bullet hit you, I, I could tell you, I, I haven't had... It was a BB gun. It wasn't a bullet. I actually have a BB in my leg from 14 years old, something like that. I was out in the woods with a buddy. We both had BB guns. He had pumped his 20 times, and it says clearly on the box, do not pump the Crossman BB gun more than 10 times. He had pumped it 20, had the safety on, we're walking along, and his suddenly goes off because the air compression chamber burst. And it went so far, like through that much, it went through my whole calf and was touching my leg bone. I think the lower one, so I don't know which one that's called, but um, it was touching my leg bone on the inside. It had gone through my whole calf. And at the hospital, they said, we're, we're just gonna leave it in there. Your body will encapsulate it, you'll be fine. Okay, so I still have it in there. But I remember one of the things about it it hurt. I was shocked. I felt the heat and the, the, the surprise, of course, but that if they'd taken it out, and this would be the same thing in real life with, with any bullet, taking it out is going to hurt just as much as it going in, especially if you leave it in there for years and years and years. It's like a whole new wound. So if you gave yourself some bullet wound when you were a kid saying, I'm dumb, I'm stupid, and you've layered that up for years and then numbed that out for years and avoided feeling it and looking at it for years, and you finally say, I'm going to deal with this so that I can actually love myself and stop beating myself up and shaming and condemning and all this stuff. If you're actually going to deal with it, pulling it out is going to require feeling it to heal it. And that's going to hurt like crazy. And if you're like most people, you're going to avoid doing that until life and marriage and relationships require you to actually deal with it. So either you can do the physical therapy or you can avoid it. But one way or another, you're going to be injured by this. Either it's going to hurt taking it out. Injured is not the right word. Hurt is the right word. Let me clarify. When you go to your dentist, if there's a cavity, they're going to hurt you. They're going to stick a needle in your mouth. They're going to drill out the dead stuff. They're going to put the thing around the ring around your tooth. They're going to fill the cavity they are going to hurt you. It's going to suck if you have to get your tooth worked on, but they're not harming you. There's a huge difference between being hurt and being harmed. And we got to know that difference, being hurt and being harmed. Sometimes things that hurt you are wonderful for you and they're exactly what you need. Maybe it hurts you to make a certain investment and then it pays off really well and you're like wow i feel like a genius now it hurts when you go to the gym if you do it right and you lift heavy and you do what you need to do it's gonna hurt but it shouldn't harm you so there's a difference when you eat the kale it's gonna hurt you but it shouldn't harm me. <laughs> All right, I'm being silly. But there's there's a difference between hurt and harm. And you you should catch that difference. It's it's not, it seems subtle, but it's a huge gap between the two. So all right, I I just wanna I wanna bring this in for a landing, okay? So this is um these are the questions. I want you to dig into for yourself. Do you love yourself? 
like the three-year-old you loved yourself. The way the three-year-old you, and it might be super hard. You might have no memories of this, but if you were to imagine, what was the three-year-old you like? The fun, the playfulness, wanting to snuggle, wanting to have a pillow fight, wanting to tickle, wanting to be tickled, run around the yard, jump on the trampoline, run in the sprinkler, the way that you loved you and you loved life and you loved all things, puppies and cats and babysitters and excitement over all of that, is that still in you? And if not, did it get disconnected? Did you give yourself some labels? What is it that's getting in the way? So on the other side of the question, what do you hate about yourself and why? What is it that you hate about yourself? What is it that makes you unlovable in your mind? I'm unlovable because I got, you know, two divorces behind me and I lost a million dollars and I crashed my business and I, and you can make your own list for why you're unlovable. Doesn't mean it's true. It's just a feeling that you're having. So that thought, that thing, that feeling that you have in the way of why do I, what do I hate about myself? What do you, what do you love? Do you love yourself like the three-year-old you loves yourself? That's question one. Question two is what do you hate about yourself and why? Number three, are you willing? I'm not saying how to do it necessarily, but are you willing to do the hard work of feeling the buried feelings that are blocking you from the self-love that's possible? Are you willing to do that? One of the metaphors, I remember this, my wife and I, um, this was after I'd done a mountain of emotional work in my men's program to make the changes I needed to make to become a good husband. I remember her saying to me, why won't men do this? And she made it personal. She said, you know, why did it take you so long? Why did you have to be challenged by all these people? And why did you have to, da, 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 to finally change? And it was like a light bulb turn on. I said, you know what it is, uh, this is how I picture it. It's like every man is carrying around a bucket of pain. It's all the pain that he's built up for years in his life. And he's carrying this bucket of pain everywhere he goes. And he doesn't know he's carrying it. And he's just building up layers. And every time his wife says something, or pokes at him or tests him in some way, it pokes that bucket and a little bit of the pain spills out and there's just pain splashing everywhere. But he won't look at the bucket and he won't deal with the bucket until she is willing to inflict more pain than is in the bucket. Until she says, I'm gonna divorce you, I'm gonna take the kids, I'm gonna take the house, I'm gonna take your reputation, I'm going to da, 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 and he goes, okay, okay, I'll look at the bucket, finally. And he finally will get real and look at the bucket. And he'll start, maybe if he figures out to start doing the work, he'll take a spoon and he'll start spooning out the pain and dealing with it one spoonful at a time. And he's making a little progress, yay. And maybe he gets it down like this much and she's never seen him with that much pain gone before. And he seems like he's transformed. And that's cool. But a lot of women at that point will take the pressure off. And if they take the pressure off, oh, okay. Now, instead of carrying around a bucket of pain that's this big, he's carrying around a bucket of pain that's this big and he'll stop. He'll stop the work. And it's unfortunate. And sometimes the bucket refills. Sometimes he just learns to live with a bucket of pain this big. Because this big 
apparently won't threaten the marriage or the relationship. But if he actually, if he owns it and says, I don't want any pain in my bucket. I'm going to deal with these bullet holes. I'm going to get back to loving myself. I'm going to be free and healthy and connected and integrated with myself like a three-year-old. That man is going to own himself in a whole different way. He's going to be able to speak clearly. He's approved of himself. He loves himself. He can love others. That's a whole different thing. That's a whole different way of living that's available. That's an option. So all right, one one last thought exercise with this. And then I want to actually open it up for a few minutes of QA. I'm recording this on Zoom here on my computer, and I'm recording it for Facebook Live up here on my phone. So I got two different cameras so you might be seeing me go up and down but as i do this i'm recording the zoom for those who've signed up for indestructible leaders you go to indestructibleleaders.com i will be putting out videos like this every week and in the month of january you get four of these videos for free i'm just putting them out so people get a sample of the crazy stuff i'm up to now and that you can come check it out so if you want to actually go fill out the form and jump in with us Cool, awesome, we'd love to have you. Um, indestructibleleaders.com, that's where you can sign up. And you get January for free, either right here on Facebook Live or on the Zoom, we'll be sending it out. But uh, I will go over to the Facebook Live in a few minutes and do a little interaction. Here's some questions, if you guys have some questions. So. Before I do that, though, here's my last interactive question I want you to think about. On a scale of 1 to 10, how much do you love yourself? Just think about that for a minute. On a scale of 1 to 10, how much do you love yourself? And the follow-up to that is what's keeping you from saying 10? It could be the 20 pounds you need to lose. It could be the, the credit card debt that you haven't gotten rid of. It could be, and you create your list, whatever that list is mentally for yourself. But if you're not saying 10, I love myself on a scale of one to 10, I love myself at 10. If you're not able to say 10, What's the, what's the number and what's the disconnect? What's keeping you from saying 10? And when you get that list, it's not just those things. They, let's say, okay, it's credit card debt. You owe $10,000 and you know that what it, what it actually is, it's not the credit card debt, it's not the 20 pounds, it's what it means to you. Because the credit card debt could mean that you're stupid and that's what you're telling yourself. The credit card debt could mean that you're a loser and that's what you're telling yourself. The 20 pounds could mean that you're ugly, weird, different, a burden, and that's what you're telling yourself. That story is connected to that thing. You're the one who created the meaning that said, this means this. And because of that, those things keep you from being a 10 in your scale of how much do you love yourself? 10. If you can't say 10, why can't you say 10? What's in the way? That's my challenge. The last question for that is, what does it cost you to not be at 10? To not be able to say, I love myself at a level 10. What does it cost you? Now, we can See, by extension, if you don't love yourself, you can't love others. And so how will you fulfill that second greatest commandment of love your neighbor as you love yourself? Well, if you don't love yourself, you're not going to love your neighbor. So there's a huge disconnect. But that, that goes over to if you don't love yourself, you're not going to be a good husband. If you don't love yourself, you're not going to be a good wife. If you don't love yourself, you're not going to be a good father or mother or employer or employee. Or 
all the different areas of your life. If you don't love yourself, you will not love others well. And that disconnect, it's costing you more than you might want to look at or face or own. It's hard to. But I want you to take a look at it. What is it costing you to not love yourself at level 10? What is it costing you not to love yourself at level 10? If you can really look at that, if you can really own that, that cost can help you see how important it is to start dealing with these things in your life so that you can move forward, so that you can deal with the bullets, so that you can get back to being free and becoming like a little child. Right? We, don't, we don't hear enough about this, but Jesus so many times, he mentions to his disciples about the little children, becoming like them, let them come to him. Blessed are they that they, you know, those who, who mess with little children, may a millstone be tied around their neck. Like he's got a lot to say about this. It's a big deal. So, all right, we'll stop there. We're gonna move from this topical discussion into Q&A and just sort of open it up. Um, we'll go five to 10 minutes. Well, let's say 10 minutes. And what do you wanna talk about? Whatever you guys put up in the Facebook Live, I will address and we can talk about it a little bit. There are already some comments. I'll scroll back for a minute here. Let's see. That's right, Naomi. All right, guys, this is your time. This is your time right here. You want to ask about the end of the world? You want to ask about Speaker of the House? You want to ask, what do you want to talk about? Whatever you guys you want to talk about why you don't love yourself. You want to talk about maybe it's because you don't have enough hair. Maybe you have too much hair. What if being adopted and what if being adopted and never felt, sorry, let me pull that down, like fitting into the family affects your self-image? Ooh, powerful question. Awesome. Yeah. So I would, I would imagine that part of the not fitting in would be a couple different bullets. One would be weird, ugly, different. It's just, I'm so different. I'm an outsider. I don't belong. That not belonging feel often connects to that bullet. Another one would be, I'm a burden. And now, of course, your parents chose to adopt you. They chose. They took the money, the time, the effort, the everything, so much more intention to say, I'm going to go adopt a child. But that adoptive child might still tell themselves inside themselves, I am a burden. So that, that would be the, the piece that I would go after is the feelings of being a burden or the feeling of being weird, different, outsider. Those would be the feelings. And the feelings are what connect to that pocket of pain that's been layered up for years and years. So that... My short answer. Obviously, there's more that could be said, but I'll leave it at that. Um, what do you, what if you identify a wound label, then what do you do to address it? It's different. It's different for men. It's different for women. So the masculine and the feminine, they approach this different way. Naomi, I know there's some stuff. I'll scroll back up in a minute, but I'll stick with Deborah for now. Um, for men, they need to physically emote the feelings and follow the layers back. 
for women, for the feminine side, they need to verbally process all the feelings and feel truly heard and seen. So those two things, they, the, the masculine and feminine, they process pain differently. So one of the questions we get all the time in Bulletproof Husband program that, that I help uh, as one of the top coaches there, one of the questions we get all the time is, my wife is seeing the tremendous changes in me as a man, and she wants a program to be a part of. She wants to make changes. And, or she feels like she's left behind in the sense of here's my husband, he's making all these changes. Our marriage is improving, but I feel like I'm supposed to do something. It's completely different though. A man needs other men to challenge him, confront him, be direct with him and get him to do the emotional work, which might include um, crying, screaming, letting out all these old feelings that have been stuck there but then he can then show up. And if you think about that bucket of pain that I described, if he creates room in his bucket, she can actually take her pain and pour it into his bucket and he can take it and dump it out for her. He actually becomes a place that he can take the pain and dump it out. It's one of the amazing things about the masculine that the feminine can come and dump her pain and he can dump it out. Powerful, powerful. But again, uh, another, you guys went straight. It was like a long, quiet pause and then straight to the deep questions. Um, Jim is asking, when will you write a new version of Eyes of Honor? I'm not sure. I'm not sure what I'm going to do with that book. I, I agree with what I put in the book, but I also think that it was like the kindergarten version of the understanding that I've come to now in the process of my own life, my own marriage. Um, I think that rather than trying to go back and write something, especially since that book is under my publisher, it's very controlled, it's, it's a challenge to work with. I would, in, instead, I would say, look toward my next book, which is coming out, The Bulletproof Husband. I, I, um, sometimes have a couple pre-published copies, but it's not out yet. It's coming out uh, in the spring and um, that will have way more answers for, for men and for the future. Um, so I would just look toward the next book, not, not look back toward an old one. Uh, let me scroll back up here, see what Wow, Naomi, I, I really appreciate how honest and vulnerable the way that you wrote that out. I really do love myself, like really, really. But in terms of leadership and ministry calling, I've always had this nagging, sometimes crippling insecurity that people don't believe in me or take me seriously. I've done so much work on my identity, but still struggle so much. Wow. I really appreciate the way that you you're sharing that. It's it's really um, honest and uh, relatable, understandable. Um, it it does connect to everything that we've said here, and it it kind of goes into a deeper conversation about identity versus nature versus assignment versus purpose versus calling versus your Metron, like there's a lot of things that you have to get clear on. And like you're saying, you love yourself. Okay, amazing. That's that's so important as a foundation. And you've worked on identity. Again, huge, very important. Um, but the insecurity around leaders, um, it sounds like there's a difference between how they are and how you're feeling. I mean, they could be judgmental, rejecting, all of that, 
maybe that is happening. But even if that's happening, that doesn't have to give you insecurity. The insecurity is something that's going on inside you. So it's poking something for you. There is a bullet hole there. There is a button, there is a trigger, whatever you want to call it, that's being poked with leaders, it sounds like, specifically, that leaders are able to poke that thing in you. And that might not, you might just need to find what does that really feel like and dig into that as far as when I'm around leaders and I feel that insecurity come up, is it I'm not good enough? Do I feel unworthy? Do I feel stupid? Do I feel like they're going to see something about me that's wrong and it needs, uh, I have suspicion toward me or whatever, like something I've done in the past and now they're going to project it on me and I'm afraid of that. Because regardless of how they are, there should be enough of a wall of the outside world and your internal world, that it doesn't need to affect you. Pharisees hated Jesus. They wanted to push him off cliffs and stone him in the temple and have him crucified, and they're looking for ways to hunt him down and kill him, and it changed nothing for him. So there's something going on in your internal world that's being triggered when you're around certain things. Now, you could change the question and make it like, I get triggered around my extended family or with my mother-in-law or with my weird uncle or, you know, change it to whatever. It's still something is happening in you and the alarms are going off of insecurity. There's a bullet hole. There's something there that you have to zero in on and take care of. So you might be able to catch one more. Let me look down here. Miami asked another one or added to it. It's costing me my calling as I was also abandoned as a child and black sheep of my family, even though they're all saved. I feel like there's a link between being accepted and beloved in my physical family that I carry over into spiritual family. Okay, well, that's exactly what I just said. Yeah. Again, thank you so much for that level of transparency and vulnerability. That's beautiful. Um, all right. Well, we'll bring it in for landing there. Thank you so much for taking the time to join in on the call, ask some questions, help me make this a interactive experience. And again, I'll say, if you go over to indestructibleleaders.com, fill out the form, you'll get these videos in January for free sent directly to you. And then uh, February, the, this will be a closed program and you can be in it if you'd like to. And uh, hmm. one last question now, close it out. Are men in general designed to have true genuine relationships with other men or typically just take care of themselves? If we look over the last thousands of years, we've lived in tribes and we've lived in community and men have gone off hunting together and pursuing and exploring and all of that. So we're definitely um, best when we're in a tribe of masculine relationships. Men are best that way. Men are worst when they're alone and or surrounded only by women causes a problem because they don't have the masculine relationship to keep things in check and challenge and confront and all of that that's needed in a man's life. So um, I'll leave it at that. Thank you all. Again, indestructibleleaders.com. Go check out the form. Get these videos for free in January and then February. It's a closed group. We'd love to have you. There's no we. I don't know about the we would love to. I would love to have you. Come join me. My wife will be here sometimes. I'll get some guest speakers sometimes, but we're going to be digging into stuff like tonight. Thank you so much. Have a great night. Truth be told.
So 